looking for their first lead. Poole fakes, fires a three left side. Good! Golden State on top. 105-103. It's an 18-0-1. And this place is going bananas. This is the Golden State Warriors podcast. And now your host, the voice of the Warriors, at Warriors Vox, Tim Roy. Welcome back to the Warriors podcast. Hi, everybody. I'm Tim Roy. Glad to be with you today as we get ready for the Warriors in the postseason. Golden State hanging on to the number three seed, and they will take on the Denver Nuggets, a team they played four times in the regular season, losing three of them, but you kind of throw that out in the postseason. To help us break it down and to help us look at the play-in bracket, is that a good idea? Mark Spears is going to join us from the undefeated at ESPN, longtime NBA reporter and a former standout on the hardwood at San Jose State. He is also a former Denver Nuggets beat writer, so I will ask him about the altitude. Is that a real thing, or is that something that Denver sports teams make up to have a little psychological advantage? We'll find out more about that in just a few. But Dub Nation, we're back with the first ever responsive NFT collection for the 2022 playoff run. Each time the Dubs win a 2022 playoff series, your respective NFT will unlock all new utilities and benefits. Visit gswnft.com, that's gswnft.com, to learn more and to secure yours today. That's all part of the playoff excitement, so let's get right to it. Here is our conversation with Mark Spears. Mark, always a pleasure to uh, have you on the podcast. And, and um, I, well, before we get to the Warriors and the Nuggets and, and maybe some of the other series, well, let's just start with the play-in uh, bracket. Are you a fan of the play-in games? You know, I, I wasn't when I was in the bubble because I, I actually think, and it'd be interesting when this thing goes longer to do some history in it, I think it was born in an attempt to get Zion into the playoffs. If you go back and look at it, like New Orleans was basically going to be on the outside looking in and the NBA, you know, wanted to be a little bit more experimental. Um, so... They have this really, really great president of league operations, Byron Spruill, who came up with the idea. And now I'm just like, that's just make us stay in the bubble longer than we already are. <laughs> like, like, why do you need yeah. to do all this? Right. <laughs> and I think they just kind of felt like, well, let's experiment. The good thing is it could get Zion into the playoffs. So if you think about like the first year of it, it was kind of weak. Like it didn't really have the impact that it had now because one, there wasn't fans. It was in a bubble, right? And I don't think it had this similar kind of teams. Um, and then last year, I remember I warned somebody from my parent company, ESPN. I was like, you know, I know it's going to be cool if you get like LeBron or Steph in one of these playing games, but what if they lose? So, yeah, you get those quick ratings with the playing game, but you might lose one of them for actual playoff games. And that ended up being the case with the Warriors. If, if things were like they used to be, the Warriors would have been a first-round team, right? Like right. the Suns, right? Right. Uh, I don't know how they would have did. Probably not that great because of drama going on with that team. But, um, but they were – if it wasn't for the play-in, 
they would have played in the playoffs against Phoenix. So in that regard, it hurt, right? So I, I actually think to answer your question, I think uh, you'll be a fan of it or hate it year by year based on how it affects the teams that get in and the teams that don't get in. Yeah, I, so I kind of in the middle. Yeah, you know, yeah, I, I think it's great because it keeps a little, you know, more teams active. It prevents more teams from just tanking the last month of the season. And I like that part of it. I think we should throw in a little caveat, though. I think what we should do is, like a team like Minnesota this year, they were clearly better than anybody in the playing bracket, right? They had a the better year. If you're like five games better than the team below you, then you just move up. You know, I think I think that yeah. I think the playing bracket should have been for the eight seed this year. Minnesota should have been the seven seed all along. I don't think they need to prove that they did that over eighty two games. That would be the one thing I would do is that put in put in a rule that you know if you're clearly better than the team below you over the course of the season, then you you know pick whatever number of games you want to pick, and then you know you you get the first round by, and you're you're in that spot. So, but you know yeah. You know the the you know, but it it does add a little drama. The Minnesota Clipper game was fun the other night. That was fun to watch and and great to see all the emotion for the Timberwolves. I mean, so that that part of it's good. But yeah, I, I think I think we're stuck with yeah. it. I think we're stuck with it, whether we like it or not. I think. But you, and you know what it does too. That's cool. It um, like for example, let's say New Orleans gets eliminated. I don't know when this is running, but let's say New Orleans loses to the Clippers, right? Yeah. It did give New Orleans a home game to kind of like I, I, and, and I have my own colleagues to like, you know, wave a finger at for this. But the slander on New Orleans just like bothers me, and, and maybe it's a little personal to me because my family lives there. Right. But New Orleans reminds me in a sense of Vancouver, like it. it, it Vancouver would have been a great NBA city if they ever had a decent team. Like, they never had any good teams the first five years. The, the time they were there, all their teams were terrible. So it was hard to really, like, get a quality fan base to get super excited about it and consistent because the team was just bad and the players kept changing, the front office changed, and, like, all this, all this changed. And I think New Orleans is in the same way, but – what the playing game showed you is like when it's a how what kind of atmosphere it could be there, right? Exactly. When there's something to cheer for, you know that to me, when New Orleans has a good team, they have one of the coolest environments in the league. And Tim, I don't know that I know we're going on a tangent here. I don't know that you really have time to go walk around arenas and stuff, but I guarantee you the food at the New Orleans games <laughs> than everywhere else. Like you could get jambalaya, you could get uh shrimp po' boy sandwiches, uh they have uh I'm sure you could maybe even find gumbo if you find the right place. Got daiquiris like, Oh yeah. I mean yeah come it's, on, man. Like, it's crazy. And it's... they're playing bounce music. Hey when you have the we have is like a Mardi Gras crowd, you well, know, because yeah. you cover the playoff atmosphere there. When you have trombone shorty doing the national anthem, that's a good atmosphere. You know, that's <laughs> you yeah, know, so, like, yeah. Hey, but yeah, well before I wanna get uh, I I agree with you. I I think there are other markets that um you know, maybe have had good teams and haven't had that kind of support. And, and again, the other part about this too, about New Orleans is, let's face it, it's still a very young NBA city. So it's still, 
you know, yeah. it, it needs time, I think, to grow a little bit down there. And, and, uh, yeah. that's and a you really know what's good funny? You'll laugh at this. So I'm watching the Hawks game, right? Mm-hmm. And they're showing, like, um, Hawks legends before the game before, right? Right. And it's like Dominique, Bob Pettit, like, <laughs> yeah. Like, and then, you know, like some really old school people, like the newest star they had in the Hawks legends was like Joe Johnson, right? Right. Who played there about 15 years ago. They showed the Pelicans legends during a timeout, and it was like Doug, David West. Yep. Chris Paul and Anthony Davis. And that's it, yeah. Like, that just yeah. showed you, like, how young that franchise is. And it, it does take a while to get it get it going. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, let's move on to the Warriors and Nuggets. And, and um, I know Denver won three of four, and they do have Jokic. But if I'm the, I'm the Warriors, I feel pretty good about going into this series because I think, you know, at the very least they can compete with them. And two of the games – you know, I think you can kind of look at them, and I don't think Denver uh, dominated in those games. The Warriors had that one where they had the meltdown at the end where uh, Michael Malone started fouling Kevon Looney, and that kind of got the uh, Nuggets going a little bit. And then Steph leaves Morris wide open for a three. And then the other game where, where Steve Kerr rested, you know, all of his key, key players. So... So I think the series is kind of you know right now, especially with Steph's you know status still up in the air. I think it's a pretty pretty solid series. I think we could have a good one here. I'm starting to feel like, and obviously this is pre the announcement that if Steph is practicing on Thursday, he's going to play, right? So um, I'm I'm going to talk as if Steph is playing, which okay. might be a mistake on a podcast, <laughs> but. Um, I I don't listen to anything that happened in the regular season for them, for either team. Too many missing pieces involved. Um, and for that matter, I mean, to me, like the only game and Tim, like you're a Warriors historian, so please correct me. Um, to me, the only game where you really could say anything was like the March 24th game. Right. And I think it was Washington. Was am I right? Yes. Maybe it was when 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 uh, yeah. yeah when Draymond came back and Steph was there. Yeah. There, there's only one game of sample size that you could use to give you an example of what this team plays like, which is I've never really seen that. So to me, all the games go out the window except for that one. Yeah, March twenty twenty seven. The Nuggets. I'm huh? March twenty seventh. Yeah, if, if I'm the Nuggets, that's the game I'm looking at because that's. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, my my plays. bad. It was March 14th. My bad. I was looking at the the road game. March, okay. Yeah, March 14th. Yeah, yeah. That, that's the only sample size you have where Steph, Draymond, and Clay play together like in a real way this season. Um, so it is. It, I think it's difficult for Denver because there's really not much tape to go on. Yeah, and the right. other, yeah, and, and the other X factor is that it looks like Clay Thompson has found his footing, and he's found his NBA yeah, footing. Yeah, so Clay's found his footing. His balance is better. He, he and there's no back to backs. So like the roughest Clay is going to have it is like say, what it'll be is like a game off between game one and game two, right? Right. That's because what game two is Monday. Or yeah, Tuesday? Sa- Saturday Monday. Yeah. Saturday, Monday. So yeah, that's that's the roughest that that Clay has it. 
So, um, you know, it'll, it'll certainly be interesting um, to see how Denver adapts to something they haven't really seen, whereas Nuggets, there's tons of tape for, for the Warriors to look at to prepare. Right. So it's kind of got to be a nightmare for Denver. Um, obviously, the joker factor is like, how do you stop him? And he's Draymond the best guy. I'm, I'm guessing Looney will start on him. I, I, I don't know that there is any way to stop him, but he's not going to score 100 points. So to me, it's like, He's going to do him, but him doing him is he's such a great passer that he makes everybody else better. That, that to me, is so a key. How do you, like, you got to keep yeah. his assist down. You know, it, the points are going to yeah. come. He's got to score, but d- d- don't let him yeah. go 30 and 10 or 30 and 12. Don't let him do yeah. that. So that, That's where he's dangerous. So you you really have to be disciplined defensively when you're playing with somebody, against somebody like that because if you nap, He's going to catch a guy um, for a, a, a bomb running up the court, you know, start a fast break with the pass. He, he'll get a cutter for layups. Like, he, he almost makes them have a Princeton offense when they don't have one. And so that's the thing. I mean, to your point, figure out a way. Like, this is where if Mike Brown, like, is doing the defense, like, you got to really be on – their your your players tough this week about discipline defensively and and not letting his pass beat you absolutely yeah you gotta you gotta keep you know don't let aaron gordon go back door for a dunk don't let you know morris flare out for a jumper and and to keep all those guys under wraps almost play them straight up and not help if you can you know i mean just uh yeah try to do that now for the Warriors they have the, the core has been there and, and been through many playoff series but they do have a number of guys who be playing really in their first or second playoff series of, of note do you think that's going to be a factor at all um the first game the first game um but then I like you see like there's some guys that are just different right like I saw Anthony Edwards in his first game, the playing game. He he looked like he played in fifty of them already. Oh yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. So, but hey, but I like everybody's different, man. It's it's hard to tell, Tip. Uh, I'll tell you a story, and and I'll re- preface this by saying, man, Rodney White. If you hear this story, I apologize to you. I don't mean <laughs> no, it's not in disrespect. It's just what happened. So I covered. Carmelo Anthony's rookie year, right? His right. first playoff game is like 2004 in, in in Minnesota. Carmelo's fine. Carmelo's great. Carmelo's played in big moments. Rodney White comes into the game, and this is when we used to have good seats right next to the bench. First playoff game for Rodney White. He is nervous, super nervous. Earl Boykins is on the bench trying to calm him down and everything. Rodney comes into the game. Ball gets, you know, moved over to him. He takes a shot, and he shot a jumper that was so fast and ferocious that it. I thought I was going to break Jerry West because it slammed and hit Jerry West on the backboard, right? <laughs> and he came out the game and didn't play the rest of the game. And I think Jeff Bozdelic, the coach of the team, was like, he's not. He's yeah. too nervous for this moment. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that so, happens. 
It happens. That happens to some guys. You know, it's it's yep. different. Um, obviously, and this team's been to the finals. It's really, really different then. But I mean, like the Nuggets got a lot of young guys too. Um, um, but I, if you really think about the Warriors' rotation, who are we talking about? Pool. Yeah, probably Pool. Yeah, Wiggins to a certain amount, though. He, you know, I um, mean, Kaminga. Kaminga, Pool. I, I don't know if anything scares Kaminga. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, like so. I, I don't. I think maybe we'll see if Jordan gets a little nervous to these lights. But um, I think I think he'll be I, nervous to start, but I he'll settle down. Fine. Yeah, I think he'll settle yeah, down. Yeah, yeah, I think he'll be fine. He plays. He plays kind of nervous. I usually anyway. worry about that more in finals. Right. Right. Because because the finals lights are the the well, it's totally different. Lights yeah. is still. If, if if they were starting in Denver, maybe I'd be a little bit more nervous about it. But when you're playing a playoff game at home, it still feels like a regular season game. I mean, it's a different level, but finals is like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you know so it's I mean? it's like, totally. I tell people it's totally different than anything else that they go through, and 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 even yeah. even for for media, it's totally different than every other experience. But I know you have to go in a couple of minutes, so I want you to give me some uh, rapid fire answers. You are, as you pointed out, a former Nuggets beat writer. Is there anything to the the whole altitude thing? You know, you walk in, they remind you you're a mile high above sea level, and the whole bit. Is there anything to that? I mean, I covered the Nuggets for eight years. Yeah, there is. Um, like, I, I would strongly recommend. I think if you practice there the day before the game, you're fine. That's right. the key. You right. can't you can't show up the night before. No, get there early. Like, they, the Warriors should get there Tuesday night. I don't know what their travel schedule is. You would know better. Practice there Wednesday and have a, you know, maybe not scrimmage, but sweat. Right. Bring through some things. Get right. your breath going. Get used to it. Remember, Akeem used to be there with the uh, oxygen tank, right? Oh, yeah. Um, you, you, you don't want to have to go through it. It's not like they haven't played there before. But because this is playoffs, I mean, they could shoot. They could go there Monday night if they wanted to, right? Right. They could fly after the game. We we don't I haven't yeah. I haven't received anything on that yet but uh, but yeah they, they there there there's different ways to do it and and finally before I let you go who are the your X factors on both teams in this series who who are guys that you think could be keys whether starter or off the bench you know I kind of like that kid Highland he's had a great you year know, uh, yeah uh, very unheralded rookie you know Cousins gonna have an edge with him especially with the Warriors lack of size so I, I would look at Highland and, and Cousins um, for the Nuggets in terms of the Warriors um, pool because this is his first big moment um, I, I think he's certainly a, a big X factor and I think Belisha just because with the Nuggets' size, he's going to have to play, I think. Yeah. Uh, they're they're going to need him. And, you know, this is where this would have been a great series for Wiseman. Obviously, he's not going to be there. And the Warriors might have made a mistake and not having an insurance guy. So, Belly, man, I think Belly's going to have to play some minutes. Um, 
whether it's against Joker or whether it's against Cousins, and, and that's not going to be easy. So, But if he can make them work on the opposite end in terms of scoring, making some threes, um, I, I think he could he could have a, a impact on the series. Well, it's always great to talk with you, man. I appreciate you making some time for us here on the Warriors podcast, and, and uh, best of luck to you, and I'll, I'm sure I will see you uh, during the first round. Yes, sir. See you soon. So we hope that gets you ready for the first-round playoff series, Warriors and the Denver Nuggets here on the Warriors podcast. Tell your friends where we are and tell your friends that you also get a bonus on each and every Warriors podcast. This year we're going back to 75 years, 75 stars, celebrating 75 years of Warriors basketball. On this podcast, our profile is head coach Steve Kerr. It's time for 75 years, 75 stars, as we celebrate 75 years of Warriors basketball in the NBA. Steve Kerr's path in basketball has always been shaped by his exposure to great coaches, including his time at the University of Arizona, playing for Lute Olson, where he was part of their first Final Four team. He was drafted by the Phoenix Suns in 1988 and then traded to Cleveland. But as far as Steve Kerr, the player, goes, it was his stint in Chicago where his run of championships began, reaching its zenith in the 1997 NBA Finals Game 6, Chicago taking on Utah. He comes off, I'll be ready. And I just decided right then, if I get it, I'm just going to let it fly. It is Michael Jordan time. Michael, six seconds, five. Michael in traffic to Kerr. 15 footers. Yeah. Hitting the big shot in 97 is my most memorable moment. When we called timeout with 25 seconds to go, we, we went into the huddle and Phil told Michael, he said, Michael, I want you to take the last shot. And Michael said, you know, Phil, I don't feel real comfortable in these situations. So maybe we ought to go in another direction. So I thought to myself, well, I guess I got to bail Michael out again. The combination of his basketball smarts, his grit, his toughness, as well as being one of the best shooters ever to play the game, resulted in a 15-year NBA career, retiring in 2003 with five NBA titles. He is the all-time leader in three-point shooting at over 45% for his career. And when you examine that career as a player, you realize that in those 15 years, he played on only one losing team. After his playing days, he began a career in television, working for TNT. He returned to Phoenix as a general manager back in 2007 and then back to TNT in 2010. Meanwhile, Joe Lacob and Peter Goober put together an ownership group and bought the Golden State Warriors with one goal above all others. There was no sense in being second. There was no sense in doing something unless you're going to do it right. And uh, we are very intent on taking a, bringing a championship to this, to this region. Following the 2013-2014 season, the Warriors let go Mark Jackson as head coach. And on May 19th, they hired Steve Kerr, who would rely on his exposure to all those great coaches. You know, when I grew up, I had great coaching. I went to John Wooden basketball camp and uh, 
played for a legendary high school coach in, in Los Angeles named Jerry Marvin. So I was lucky. I always was blessed with, with great coaches. And then Lute Olson gave me my one scholarship offer to Arizona. And 25 years later, 26 years later, uh, here I am. It seems surreal in a lot of ways, but uh, I know that it has everything to do with all the uh, great coaches and teammates that I've had in my, my life and in my career. Warriors general manager Bob Myers said all that winning as a player was a difference maker in making the decision to bring Steve Kerr aboard. Some of Steve's strengths are, are he has won championships. He's won five of them. And um, he can bring that experience to the team. We don't have a player on our team that's won a championship. It's hard to quantify sometimes when you're evaluating what to do with your team, who to draft, who to trade for. But as you look around, there's certain players that um, win in his first season as head coach, Kerr brought another winner off the bench and made him a starter. That was Draymond Green. He also convinced Andre Iguodala, a vested veteran, to come off the bench. And because Steve is a master communicator, it all worked. You know, I had some really good relationship with my coaches, but um, I think we just spoke the same language in terms of basketball, you know, especially coming from Arizona. You know, we were you know, taught you know, the same principles. And, you know, that's your baseline and your foundation and you build from there. Uh, so we just had a very, I think it's rare, you know, that you have a coach, especially in the NBA, where when you when you speak about uh, one particular thing, especially your job, it's just flows and uh, everything's in, you know, on a string. And it's, it's just a beautiful thing uh, with communications. It makes it so much easier. We talk about 10x communication a lot here. And it's just, you know, it's 100x for him just because of that foundation we both had. And then, you know, just his approach in terms of what he wanted, the environment he wanted, the culture he wanted. Uh, it just came so natural for me. And, and it kind of helped me extend my career a little bit in terms of my age and where I was going my career. A byproduct of making Steve Kerr the head coach was a free-flowing offense that changed the way the NBA looked at the game. Look, this is uh, Steve and his coaching staff. Uh, they changed the style of play of this team, and uh, obviously with great results. And, um, you know, you have to credit the Spurs uh, and the way they play. I th this is the um, emerging, evolving trend. We, of course, are helping that trend. Uh, it worked. We have the right personnel to do it, and this staff put together game plans that obviously have, have really transitioned the way we play and our success. Warriors owner Joe Leica, but it wasn't just the offense. It was a change in culture and emphasizing the fun part of the job the joy of the game. Day in, day out, you know, making the practice environment, the locker room environment, environment on the bench, inspiring to, to all the players. And I think that's a huge reason why we've been so successful is we love coming in to, to work and practice and, and you build up a uh, just a level of fun that you expect every single, every single game that you play. Curse coaching, along with the great talent that the Warriors have possessed, were the combination that started a five-year run of NBA Finals appearances and brought the Bay Area three NBA titles. As far as his peers go, there was no doubt that Kerr was going to be a success. San Antonio head coach Greg Popovich, the all-time winningest coach in NBA history. You know, are you kidding me? You know, he played for Phil for 97 years, and he learned a lot and won championships. And he, from the day he was there, you know, he... We talked about, you know, practices and games and how we do this after a game, what kind of film we watch, is it going to be positive or negative? And he immediately commanded the respect of all the players. I mean, he's a no-brainer. Kerr's contributions during this run of the franchise have been numerous, and he's done it all the while echoing his mantra of strength in numbers, a true key to their success. Here's Kevon Looney. 
It's, it's very important because uh, every guy wants to play, and every guy has a routine, and every guy has a uh, wants to know when they're going to go in the game and what's going to happen. And uh, Seager does a great job of letting guys know their role, letting, know, letting guys know uh, if it's not if a game that, that, that fits them or if a game that doesn't fit them. Uh, it gives you a clear understanding of what, what's going to happen in the game. And uh, when you know what you, what's going to happen, you know what to expect, you can get yourself ready. You just respect it more when guys are straight up and honest with you. As a head coach, Kerr has been part of three NBA titles. He's amassed over 400 wins. He won the NBA Coach of the Year Award and was listed as one of the top 15 coaches in NBA history. 15 years as a player, three as a general manager, and eight as a head coach. And during that time, only two losing seasons. He helped change a franchise forever. And he is a winner. 75 years, 75 stars, Steve Kerr. This has been 75 years, 75 stars. My thanks to James Kincaid for his production here on the Warriors podcast. Of course, as always, we have to genuflect in the direction of R.C. Davis, who is the head of all things audio here at the Golden State Warriors. I'm Tim Roy, the playoffs are here. Let's get at it here on the Warriors podcast. Next week, we'll be coming to you from Denver with an update on how the playoff series is going. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.